Hey, just wanted to get out ahead of this episode to do the little reminder, as usual, that this episode will contain adult themes and adult language, and listener discretion is advised. Thank you. Piracy. One of the coolest of the fictional crimes that we like to place on the past. What is it about putting people on a boat and letting them commit crimes that just captures the imagination? From the Pirates of the Caribbean to Captain Hook, what is it about these pirates that makes them so fascinating? Today on Cavalcade of Tales, we're going to dive deep into the tales of three different pirate women's stories to figure out what is it that makes them so endearing and so lifelong and makes them so interesting. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of Cavalcade of Tales. Uh, This week we're talking Lady Pirates. That's right, Lady Pirates. Everybody's favorite water ruffian pirates. Um, I just want to start out actually real quick um, with a couple things. Uh, First, uh, this episode is uh, dedicated to everybody in the um, First Encounter Discord including um, Elise, Hanny, Caladria, Chris, and others uh, for being so supportive of this podcast and uh, being my listener base and kind of setting the fire under my ass so that I actually start this podcast. Um, so yeah, uh, let's start off with some sappy shit. Uh, next, uh, I have to go into some more philosophical things before we get into the stories about booze and murder and on the high seas. So the thing with pirate narratives is that we have this issue where the sourcing is limited and there's only so much we could truly know about what goes on on an isolated ship for days on end. And frankly, a lot of our sourcing isn't that good. But this is where how I believe historians and what history is works in my favor. Um, As I like to say, part of my opus is that I am Drew. I call myself the millennial with a history degree. And one of the great things is that a history degree is actually a Bachelor of Arts. Which I think is very fitting because at least the way I interpret history, the thing that drew me to history and the reason I wanted to do this podcast was because... History is about constructing a story of understanding how things happened, whether it be in the past. Well, obviously it's in the past because that's what history is. Um, But I also studied a bit of anthropology um, so I could make the joke that I could study humans whenever the fuck I felt like. And it's really interesting looking at the stories we tell to understand the world around us, whether it be using mythology to understand the like building blocks and foundation whether it be folklore to kind of build a sense of community or to have history which is how we understand the events of those who came before us that gets kind of mixed up when talking about pirates because they are mythological figures in and of themselves and they also are very folkloric Um, A lot of people like to attribute them to specific time periods, but um, I purposefully did the three stories I did today because, A, threes are fun. Comedy rule of threes. 
a lot of religious and everything as rules of threes but b because they come from very different time frames and in fact well two of them no wait looking at the wrong numbers none of these women lived at the same time well two of them did but i count them as one entity because everybody counts them as one entity which i will get to but um so today is kind of going to be a little looser because i did take a little bit of notes also sorry this isn't the monster one i tried i got really deep into a hole about monster fuckers and then i just had a lot of stuff go on in my personal life that made me sad and it's really hard to research monster fuckers when you're sad so instead i'm going to talk about pirates um so i have a very rough outline just to make sure i get dates and names correctly but other than that this one's kind of just gonna be me telling you three stories about badass pirate women and that's what we're gonna do today um, real quick, I apologize if you hear any weird noises. Um, I have a fuzzy little visitor today who wanted attention, even though daddy's trying to do shit. So if you hear purring or weird noises, uh, my cat Freya is joining me for the recording today. But um, yeah, let's start some pirate talk. So our first tale uh, is going to set us back a lot further back than a lot of people think of when they think of piracy. Um, you know, when you think Pirates of the Caribbean, you tend to think um, British colonies, the settling of the kind of the end of Spanish power and the beginning of English power in a lot of those areas. Uh, but I don't want to get there yet because personally, uh, the way I do history, that's way too fucking recent. Um, I tend to stop around the 1700s because once America gets involved, everything gets a, goes a bit to shit. But um Instead, I'm going to go all the way back to the 1300s, also known as the 14th century because of the century rule thing. That's Honestly, a lot of people try to make that so much harder than it is. It's one extra. So if you're in the 1300s, you're in the 14th century. If you're in the 900s, you're in the 10th century. But today I'm going to tell you about a French woman who sailed the channel to get revenge. Uh, this woman... Uh, is Jean de Clisson. Um, I'm going to do a lot of my best to do French accents. I took French in high school. I spoke a lot of French when I was very little. Uh, none of it ret really retained. Um, I know some Romance language rules because I've also been teaching myself Italian thanks to Duolingo. The owl hunts me. Um, but I'm going to do my best to try to stay as faithful and do my best with these French pronunciations to my best ability. Uh, so Jean de Clisson was uh, born in 1300, even, which is super fucking convenient. And she was a French noblewoman at the cusp of what would eventually become the uh, Hundred Years' War between France and England. Uh, at the time, Philip IV was king, but it will way through her life it'll transfer over to Philip V or Philippe as the French would say. Uh, when she was 12 years old she married uh, a man named Geoffrey de Chateaubriand, which I 100% fucked up his last name. That is oof, that is a lot of cons uh, vowels and consonants and odd orders. Um, it's a bit ick that she was married at 12, but you also have to remember that um, in these time periods, um, 
for ease, I'll use the term medieval, but medieval is a um, hard term to use because it's just kind of used as a nebulous thousand years between the fall of Rome and other bullshit. It also denotes like a lesser thing because it's like, oh, well, it was medieval before the Renaissance and it has like, it's a, it's pejorative. I don't, I'm not a medieval historian, um, partially because I didn't focus in that area, but I don't like using the term medieval, but for the interests of clarity, this is medieval France and tech, I want to say it's Plantagenet, England. My English history is a bit all over the place, so please bear with me. Um, but yeah, so she's 12, and it's not a, a thing for them to get married that young. Uh, luckily, she did make out well because Joffrey was only 19, which is a crime nowadays, but she could do a lot fucking worse back then. <laughs> you know, she could have been married off to someone who was like 40. Uh, but he died very early on um, because it's the fucking, it's the medieval times. Um, another hill I need to die on real quick is um, a lot of people like to be like, oh, well, it was the medie medieval times. You died at like 20. And it's like, no. Everybody likes to make that choice because of averages. The thing is, is for a very large time in the past, the way it worked is that from the ages from birth till about five you could die of any sorts of diseases and this was before like shots and all the and like penicillin fucking intensive care units like your if your baby died your baby died not to like downplay how sad it would be to for them to lose a child because it's it's a terrible thing to lose a family member and to just experience the death of a child in general but it was kind of a norm you just kind of had to deal with that so like ages one to five very dangerous uh from five to about 16 if you're lucky those are pretty pretty chill you're going to be most likely be fine then you might have you know your occasional pox your you know bubonic plague or your fucking fell in front of an ox kind of incident but most of the time you're fine once you hit 16 then it starts to get a little shaky because women are starting to bear child children and uh freaking essentially your childbearing years for women is the time frame that you'd be dying off more often than not whereas for men you had a couple more years before you were really being sent into combat so your heavy fighting years is where you're gonna die so like if you for the interests of this example tangent um you know, z zero to five, danger. Six to like 16, fine. 16 to like 30, being generous. Um, probably closer to 25. Childbirth and battle. But once you got out of your childbearing years or like your combative years, you were fucking fine. And you could live just as long as people do today. Especially since you don't have processed sugars, which does kind of suck. Um, for example, in between takes, uh, while I'm listening for quality assurance, I'm eating uh, Reese's uh, Chips Ahoy because your bitch loves processed sugars. But they lived a lot longer and their teeth worked a lot better because they weren't constantly eating sugar. 
back to the story, but this is going to be a tangential one, I feel. So be ready. So, 1328. It's, uh, she marries her second husband, whose name is Guy de Penthier. And he is a very important figure in our story overall because he has large tracts of lands. He's a very important person. And, but you can, it, so the thing with marriage is most of the time marriages are just kind of, you know, made out of convenience or made, you know, because it's like, well, I have a daughter and you have a son. So um, if our kids kissed and had kids, we wouldn't have reasons to kill each other. And plus, more land for both of us. Um, but with Pentiev, you can kind of get the, there's a, you could tell that maybe there was like a love connection or maybe a lust connection because his family did not approve. In fact, they went out of their way to get it annulled by Pope John the Twenty Second. <laughs> so her marriage current was annulled, and she was back on the streets of old France. Then, in thirteen thirty, she married her final husband. Well, is it her final husband? It's her last husband for a while. I think she does marry one more time near the end. But uh, this is where shit hits the fan. Because in 1330, she marries Olivier IV de Clisson, where she gets her name that she is most known by. And this is where things get complicated. So there is a crisis where there is a section of France that could go either to a f be ruled by a French aristocrat or a British aristocrat, because in the, a lot of the Hundred Year Wars kind of shit has to do with the fact that England and France have been intermarrying for like a century, and they all have different land claims to different points, and it's complicated, and nobody wants to say, look, you keep over there, we'll keep over here, like it's a messy divorce. So they constantly are fighting, and Olivier and some of the other de Clisson men are more on the English side than the French side. And originally, this wouldn't be too much of an issue because people would be like, shut the fuck up, but in French, which, uh, ferme la bouche, but, which is not shut the fuck up, but it's just shut your mouth, but anyway. Um, however, there was a small skirmish and uh, Dick Lesson had a what the French officials considered a very small ransom required, like it didn't cost a lot for them to get him back, which seemed odd for a man of his station because by marrying Jean, based off of her previous two husbands and what she got out of that, they were pretty wealthy. And like, so the life of a French aristocrat who owns a good swath of land should have been worth more. And they got suspicious. So they're like, he's a fucking spy. Sent by the English to undermine French authority. Uh, so they hatched a scheme. So what they did is they invited uh, Olivier to a tournament to celebrate his uh, safe return from English capture. And he's like, bet, cool. 
he goes, he's like, this can't be a trap at all. And he gets captured and uh, publicly executed for treason. And his head gets cut off and put on a spike. Jean was not too pleased about this. Because you got to remember, at this point, this is her third fucking husband. She's in her mid-30s. She's like, God damn it, I've got these kids. And I'm down another husband. And I'm getting too old for this shit. And, like, was Olivier a traitor? We're not 100% sure. We're not 100% sure with a lot of the things I'm going to say in this episode, to be fair. Uh, but what the French crown did, on a, you know, without thinking, and at this point it was uh, Philip V, uh, because this is after 1312, uh, is that they made the his immediate Clisson family into traitors. So by executing one person as a potential traitor, they created like half a dozen. So Jean, in an act of okay parenting or rather questionable parenting uh takes her sons to see their father's decapitated head and be like look what they did to your dad i'm gonna do some crazy shit and i need you to be on board with it and they're like i'm five but this is fine this isn't gonna cause any issues for me psychologically in the future so what happens is Joan starts to collect a small mercenary army and this is where I think we're going to start dipping in and out of mythological and, like, the stories that were told about her. So it was said that one of the things she would do is she would go to a French encampment and she would plead for help because she's like, help me, help me. I'm a poor French, you know, aristocratic woman who's lost her way. I'm being chased by brigands. Mon Dieu, please let me in. So they would let her in and she would, you know, thank them stay the night and then in the dead of night uh one of two things would happen a she would open the door so her mercenaries would come in and fucking slaughter the bottom of them or in the more fun version of events she'd fucking kill them all and she did a f few raids like this until the french king's like okay we can't keep fucking doing this so he confiscated like a quarter of her lands gave them to uh, i want to say her uncle because usually that's there's always an uncle in these types of things. And he's like, you need to fucking get your shit in order. And she's like, fuck you. And he's like, you, no, get out of France. And she's like, I will. Freya, please don't step on the computer. No, get on. Come here. Stop that. So. Sure, lick your ass right in front of me. That's great, cat. Um, so she made a break for it with her two sons and one daughter who was also named John, which is a choice. But Jean, her daughter, was a pull from her first marriage. Uh, they got on a boat and they're just like, we're going to go to England because fuck the French. So the enemy of my enemy is my friend. At this time, the British king was a, a fun lad named Edward III. I can't tell you much about Edward III because I am drawing a blank on what he did other than just constantly fight with the French, but there's a whole line of kings at this point who are just like constantly fucking fighting with the French. Uh, but what he does is he's just like, you don't like France, I don't like France, I think we can strike a bargain. So she gets a big fuck off ship and he's like, 
the channel is the main uh, issue. If we can cut off their supplies from other ports, from pe for example, people coming up and around from the Mediterranean, or coming more of like northern Africa, and affecting their supply ships, we can stop them from invading British soil. And you can get your revenge for your dead husband or whatever. And she's like, yes. Can you watch over my son? And he's like, sure, why not? So this is where, once again, we're going to go into a little bit of myth-making. Because what we do know is that she was responsible for raiding ships and messing with French passengers at, throughout the channel. It wasn't the channel yet. I don't know when the channel was built. Uh, the English Channel. But, uh, however, there were some fun things she liked to get up to, allegedly. So, for example, we have, um, it is said that she uh, attacked ships with such force that she was deemed the lioness of Brittany. Because she was ferocious she let her like golden reddish hair down and it just flowed around her as she hopped onto ships fighting them p.s the channel was opened in 1994 um and it was said that she weld wielded a double-bladed axe to decapitate the enemies and what she would do on her ship which she named my revenge which I don't remember the French name for right now, but it's something like Mia Revenge. She would kill everybody but one on the ship, and she would send that one person in like a dinghy back to the main French line to remind Philip V that she was out there, she was pissed, and she was coming for him. Now there's a fun aside while she's doing that, that there's another Jean in this story, uh, who her husband was also imprisoned on like incorrectly for being a British sympathizer quote unquote uh, she was known as Jean La Flamme or Jean La Flame because she would set fire to camps on land so you figure Phillips got this issue where he's got two different Johns who are fucking him up at land and sea and it's just kind of like god damn it, I need to stop imprisoning people's husbands. Um, but things take a turn for the worse, and Jean, the one in water, Jean de Croissant, we're done with Jean the Flam, um, she gets captured and um, betrayed by England. She gets put in a small prison in the English shore um, where she was supposed to be doomed to live the rest of her life, but there was... Okay, here's where things get stupid, in my opinion. Because from what I remember, and from what I've read, some British knight just falls in love with her, probably because she's a badass warrior lady, and breaks her out and runs away. And they run away together into the sunset, and she lives until the until she's a little under 60, and she just fucking dies. I wish there was a more climactic ending for the story, but there isn't. That's the best I could find, which is... A bit shit, but you know, how many French warrior pirate ladies do we know? And what is it with women named Jean and fucking really fucking shit up in a hundred years' war? Our next 
uh, pirate story is actually a duel of women because it would be blasphemous for me to even consider doing an episode on uh, women pirates without doing uh, two pirates from A, the actual quote-unquote golden age of pirates, which is a historical tool just for us to uh, divide up time properly because uh, time is a man-made construct and we are long for structure. And B, because it's Anne, Bonnie, and Mary Reed, and who the fuck wouldn't talk about these two? Uh, Mary Reed is actually older than Anne Bonny, and I have around ages. The issue with these two, and frankly a lot of the pirates of the quote-unquote golden age, is uh, records come and go, and there's also a certain aspects of their stories that we only know through less than favorable sources so there's a lot of mystery and intrigue uh, which is probably part of the reason why uh, Anne and Mary have gone down as some of the most um, infamous and mysterious pirate women of all time they certainly weren't the most successful that's actually my final story for today will be the most successful female pirate arguably the most successful pirate but we'll get there um Anne has top billing, which I don't know why, because she's technically the younger one, but either it's because A, she uh, became a pirate sooner, or B, it's because we naturally like to alphabetize pairs of names. So Anne Bonnie, a little bit about her, she was an Irish girl uh, born around 1697, and she... Her and her father moved to a plantation in the Carolinas. I want to say south, maybe? I'm not sure. Uh, but she was a little fire starter, um, sometimes fucking literally. And uh, she married James Bonney in around 1718, which honestly is actually quite late, because that would make her... 21, I believe. Around 21. Um, and he was a sailor. And one day, however, when he was showing his wife around the ship, a uh, dashing pirate rogue who went by the name of Calico Jack or uh, Jack Rackham uh, swept her off her feet, both literally and figuratively, and took her off to Jamaica, where she uh, filed for divorce from James Bonney so she could be a badass pirate queen with Rackham. Um, a lot of times the stories will say that she dressed as a man and only revealed herself to be a woman um, to certain individuals. Um, there's a good chance this is true because uh, pirates and sailors are extremely superstitious and there's a lot of weirdness about having women on boats. Um, because unless it's the nude mermaid that's carved into the front, we don't need it. Uh, but there is some questionability about that and it'll come up much later in her story. Uh, but we're going to put Anne on pause, uh, rating the seas with Jack 
uh, to talk about Mary for a minute. So Mary Reed uh, is about, was um, born around eight, uh, 1685. So she's a smidge older than uh, Anne. Um, uh, some of the accounts we have is that she uh, often lived as a boy, uh, partially so that her mother could scam her dead father's family for cash because if she's got the heir, a son and heir, the family would still need to pay her out a certain stipend from his trust. Uh, but things got a little more complicated when Mary kind of kept rolling with this male identity and joined the military. Um, one thing we have to be careful about, especially as historians, is that we can't ascribe our current notions of certain things like sexuality and gender or mental illness to the past because they didn't think about these things the way we do. Uh, for example, could Mary Reed be a trans man? We don't know. Would she have identified as one if she was plucked out and brought into the future and exposed to like a gender theory class or like I don't know, 45 minutes on, like, 2010 Tumblr? Who knows? But what we do know is that she lived her uh, good chunks of her life off and on as a man, uh, only revealing herself when it was absolutely necessary, like uh, when she fell in love with a soldier that she was stationed with, revealed herself as a woman to him, and they got married, and then went off. But uh, then he died, because... All the men in these stories need to die for the women to really come into their own. So after he dies, uh, Mary is like, okay, fuck this shit, I'm out. Moves to the West Indies, which was a fancy little term for the Caribbean at that time. Because people were confused about how the world works. They knew the world was round. I don't want any of this flat earth bullshit. Because even with... Um, going back as far as like Columbus in the 1490s or well, 1492 if you want to get specific um, a lot of times when they talked about like the edge of the earth it was said in jest they know the earth is round um, but they still kind of thought of it as like they're using the term Indies as loose because you figure you have the East Indies, the East India Company, is a large trading system that is Portuguese and British that deals with trade on the opposite end. So they deal with like trade with like Polynesia and India and certain aspects like Thailand and Hong Kong and whatnot. Whereas these West Indies were like Jamaica, where you can get your salt, uh, salt get your sugar, get your tobacco, get your bananas. Uh, fun tangent time. Uh, bananas. The reason the banana candies taste weird like runts and stuff why ban artificial banana doesn't taste like bananas, at least the bananas we know, is because they pulled a fucking banana switch on us. So back in the 1950s-ish, there was a Oh, what did they smell? I don't know if it was a virus or a fungus, 
And there was this thing that was colloquially called like Panama's disease, and it would wipe out the bananas, which they had a fancier name in a different language, but I remember them as Big Jacks. Phrasing boom. Insert dozens of banana dick jokes here. Um, but what happened was those bananas were starting to die out because of this fungus virus thing. And people are like, oh, fuck, but we really like bananas. How can we make a banana split if all the bananas die? So through some selective genetic breeding, they made, uh, they found that the Cavendish banana, which is longer and sweeter, uh, was more resistant to this, like, disease. So we ditched our chody bananas and got ourselves a big thick one. And uh, that's why banana candies taste wrong. So, <laughs> back to pirates after making some crude banana dick jokes. Um, so Mary Reed moves to the West Indies in around 1715, and she goes by Mark and just works like as a dockhand on different ships. However, there's one fateful day where her ship is taken down by a pirate known as Calico Jack. And after seeing how well Mark fights because they're a former soldier, Mark becomes a part of the ship. Okay, so the girl, the our two pirate women are on the same ship. Here's where things get complicated. So the story as we know it and what we have from sources are a little conflicting and we don't truly know their dynamic and it's hard to say. Um, a lot of people enjoy saying that they're lovers. Um, in some versions of the story, it's said that uh, Anne was taken with Mark and uh, revealed herself to Mark in private, saying, like, I am a woman, let's fuck. And then Mark was like, um, I'm actually Mary. Um, and so in some versions of that tale, it's like, okay, um, well, that would be the end of it. So they would just, you know, share these fun secrets. There's another version where Mark slash Mary and Anne were found by Rackham in a compromising position, which I'm sure he was very upset about. And they were lovers. Um, there's also partially what the more likely one of they people on the ship knew that they were both women but there's no actual proof that they were fucking um, I personally prefer the like a kind of a blend of the first two where like they were fucking but I don't know if J Calico Jack knew about it or not because if they, they want to do weird three ways, that's up to them. Uh, but I personally really like the, them being together solely on the grounds of sword lesbians are cool. 
Um, but we don't truly know. What we do know is that um, there's a lot of little different myths and legends about Anne, Bonnie, and Mary Reed. There's a version where whenever they took a ship and they killed a sailor, they would expose a breast to them, being like, that's right, not only did you get killed, you got killed by a girl, punk. Um, Mary was said to be very ferocious and used like swords and preferred close combat while Mary was more of a gunslinger because of her military training. What we can tell is that at best, both of these women were potentially bisexual or just straight if they weren't, you know, sword lesbians. Because by the time 1720 comes around, uh, they're both pregnant. It's safe to assume that Anne is pregnant with Calico Jack's child, but we're not 100% on Mary's. Um, obviously, everybody on the crew would know that they were women because men couldn't get pregnant. But who's to say who's the daddy? There's no fucking 18th century Maury Povich yet. Uh, rest in peace. Uh, in 1720, Calico Jack's ship was captured. Uh, it is said that he, although pregnant, uh, Mary and Anne fought off a few of the Navy ships and uh, called Calico Jack a big fucking coward. Uh, but again, that's not for certain. And just like with most things, um, I hate how much I have to say we're not certain about it in this story. But once they're captured, we know they get a stay of execution because although they're pri pirates and they need to be killed, they're pregnant. And this is still a time where uh, Christianity and Protestant, like Protestantism and Catholicism are huge. And much like... I don't know if I should say... You know what? Fuck it. I'm the one with the microphone. If you don't like what I say, you don't have to listen. But much like conservatives in the U.S. today, they're not going to kill a woman for it, it just in case she has a baby. They're going to wait for that baby to come out, and then they're not going to fucking care about its well-being and kill its mother and give it no chance to survive. I said it, and I fucking meant it. Abortion rights are human rights. Stop policing women's bodies, you fuckwits in the capital. We don't actually know what happened to either of the women. Um... Well, we don't know what happened to Anne. There's a very high chance that one of the death certificates is for Mary. Is act is correct, and she is believed she died due to a complication in child uh, in pregnancy, um, which is common and sad. So, but Anne, it's not a hundred percent sure because there's no. Because on the one hand, we have a burial, a potential burial record. On the other hand, we also have records of her fucking off and going to an English colony and laying low for a while. So, like, we don't truly know what happened to Anne Bonny, which is part of the mystique and, uh, frankly, part of the fun. So for our final story today, we're talking about one of possibly the most uh, successful pirates frankly, of all time, and uh, this is, of course, it's a lady. 
because a there's well obviously it's related this is the pirate ladies episode but um traditionally when women are in charge uh statistically speaking looking at the course of history with uh the actions of queens versus the actions of kings they tend to things tend to go better when there's a queen in charge but this is a pirate woman from the 19th century predominantly known as Xing Shi or Zheng Yi Sao. Uh, apologies in advance for my terrible Chinese pronunciation. I'm a filthy American and I know no Chinese whatsoever. I went after romance languages. Not much is known about her early life. Um, a lot of people like to speculate that uh, she lived her early years as a sex worker because when in doubt, just say she's a sex worker. Uh, it's said that she was born around 1775-ish. So this is after the Golden Age of Piracy in the Caribbean. This is, we're dealing more with like a river piracy. Which makes things complicated because like as of nowadays, I believe it's piracy is aquatic crime but you have to be a certain amount of distance from the shore uh but things might have been different you know over 150 years ago um who's to say um so but we're dealing with more of um where is I can't find it. There I remember reading once that there's like a like I wanna say it's like fifty miles offshore is the general rule of thumb for piracy, but I'm not a hundred percent. So for now pirates are anybody who dove crimes on a body of water. So we're dealing with more river pirates, which would go on large uh, ships called junks which were, you know, scavenged together ships that could move easily on the um, riverways. So the thing about Shangxi is, um, or Zheng Yisao, is that she married a prominent pirate warlord. Um, and unfortunately, because of how little we know about her in general, uh, her, the second name I've been using, Zheng Yi Sao, um, has to do with the fact that this one of the the main name I found for him in the art and what the little research I did was Zheng Yi. Um, so for the rest of the story, just so I don't get them together and I don't have to uh, constantly mess up. Uh, the husband is Zheng Yi, and I'm referring to her as Xing Shi. Um, I believe there was a drunk history about her, but I'm not 100% because I haven't watched all the drunk histories. Uh, so she married this pirate uh, captain. Uh, in the narratives where she's a former sex worker, uh, part of the reason he marries her is either to keep information he said to her secret or to try to extort uh, politicians from the information that they she would have gotten from them by fucking them, but uh, as in all of these stories. 
Uh, whoops, her husband dies in 1801. So normally what would have happened is she would have, uh, his, their, his adopted son would have become the ruler of their little pirate organization. But Shang-Chi is like, well, the boy is young and inexperienced. What if I act as sort of like a regent? Everybody's like, that's cool. And then she essentially just ran all the shit and uh, had the son there as sort of a... Kind of like a figurehead being like, well, we can't say we're all being run by a woman because that'll make us look weak because of, you know, misogyny and honor and whatever. But she's essentially running the ship. And what happens is she starts recruitment drives. She sets a bunch of rules in place. And essentially, they get so many ships and junks under their command that there's like different colored squadrons. She color codes them. And she does things incredibly fairly. She keeps everything even, makes sure that everybody gets paid, and makes sure that like whenever they raid an area, a portion of what they raid goes into like this central pot and kitty. And the kitty is what you would use for like general things. So like let's say for example you go your crew of 20 on a ship and you raid an area and it's you get about 20,000. What would happen is is that a port let's say like 10,000 of that 20,000 goes into this kitty which you could use to like pay medical bills. You could use it to get s extra supplies for a raid. You could do it for repairs. It was kind of like this large centralized fund for everybody to draw from if needed. And then that remaining 10,000 would get split evenly amongst the crew. Um, contrary to belief and uh, the standard notion of pirates, uh, uh, wanton uh, drunkenness and fighting were not permitted under Shang-Chi. She is known for being extremely shrewd and inviting a lot of rules and also allowing women on the boats. She was also a strict uh, advocate for women being like, if you lay a finger on these women or e even go as far as to sexually assault them, you've got two options. You're going to marry her or I'm gonna cut your dick off and throw you in, and drown you in the ocean. So, she was just as ruthless as she was um, benevolent. Uh, she ruled for almost a decade like this, uh, but the Chinese government were like, okay, we can't have river pirates. And they were in a specific delta whose name I don't remember and didn't write down. So what the Chinese authorities in the area did is they called upon the help of the Portuguese to be like, can you please help us get rid of these river pirates? And the Portuguese are like, yes, of course. What could possibly go wrong by letting us have a tiny bit of power in your area? Um, but Portuguese ships were not prepared for uh, the narrow uh, river sailing that the pirates were very accustomed to. So in the river tributaries, they were fucking useless. 
but on the sea things started to become more problematic and there was even a very crucial battle where shang chi's like there is a good chance we're gonna get fucking killed here because they couldn't deal with multiple portuguese man of war and because the portuguese had all this money and they were doing what they could to get into china what they did is they had like burner ships so they they literally took a ship filled it with gunpowder lit it on fire and just kind of pushed it at the enemy and hoped that it would blow up and destroy their ships however because all good plans deserve a fuck up uh and to because this is a success story um the tide and winds changed so those fire ships went right back to the portuguese man of war man of wars and the uh, Shang-Chi and her uh, pirate squadron were able to slip back into the tributaries and be safe. But after the Man of War incident, uh, Shang-Chi was like, okay, we need to secure a future for all of these people, for all the men and myself, so that we don't get murdered by foreigners. So she's like, so what she did is she went and negotiated, tried to negotiate, and she's like, these are all my men. If you let us go without killing us, if you pardon our crimes and allow my men to try to be work towards be getting jobs in like the navy because they clearly know how to fucking run ships and do naval battles, uh, we will all give up our lives of piracy. Uh, at first, of course, the Chinese officials were like, uh, no, fuck you, we don't negotiate with terrorists. And she's like, okay then. So she, uh, she's like, I'll come talk to you again tomorrow. Uh, that night, uh, her pirate squadron carried out uh, simultaneous raids in every single major uh, port surrounding that area. And then she walked back in the next day. She's like, hi. We'll give up piracy. If we get to keep all the shit we had, you allow the men to be able to get naval positions if they want them, and you leave us the fuck alone. And pardon all our crimes. Plus, I'm keeping my loot now because you made me angry. And the Chinese officials are like, okay, fucking fine, we have... This is this could be good for us. So essentially, the Chinese, this Chinese area was able to build up a navy to protect themselves. Uh, I believe her adopted son with uh, Zheng Yi uh, became like a general. And she got to retire. And that's the thing that makes her the most successful pirate. Is she made a shitload of cash, commanded a massive fleet, and she got to just leave she got to keep everything, and she just got to live a life. A lot of people like to say that she still was committing crimes. Uh, some people believe she opened a uh, brothel of her own. Um, some people believe she opened a gambling house. Because, you know, once a crook, always a crook. Uh, some versions have her marrying the son. Because it wasn't actually her and her uh, Zheng Yi's son. It was a son they adopted as an adult to be an heir to uh Zheng Yi because uh, she, they got married but she wasn't able to conceive him a son in time so in some versions of the story she's actually fucking and then once the pirate once they're no longer pirates actually marries her son 
which in some ways is a little gross because like that's your adopted son and that's you know the issue of grooming could be involved but there's a there's a whole lot of gross ass pirate marriage thing um for example um when i was in college one of my uh classmates who was doing their theses at the same time she did a lot of stuff on the relationships between pirates and there's a lot of little boys getting abducted and fucked in various areas like we're talking like prepubescent boys um there's also uh, matelage um which is a concept between two pirates where it's kind of like an insurance system where it's like if one of us dies the other one is bonded to take my share of the loot and like take it to my family or do with it what they need to in some cases this was just seen as you know trust between two pirates in other cases it was seen as um a sort of like a romantic bond between pirates like it could mean that they were who knows maybe they were having sex and in our current terms could be considered gay but we can't know for certain because of all the shit we just don't fucking know about the past um some people actually believe that uh the concept of matelage was actually shortened and sometimes when pirates would uh talk to each other as the person that they had this agreement with they would call them matey and that's why pirates call people matey but that is not confirmed but it is a fun little aside but yeah that's the uh some stories of pirates for everybody and especially some badass female pirates all right but that's this week's episode everybody i hope you enjoyed another one of these more loose kind of just me telling you stories and doing my best to remember all the details um, if you like this type of episode, please let me know because I can do definitely more of these. I've got a few other topics I can do. Freya, your hair is everywhere. And I love you, but you're so fuzzy. Um, the cat has decided that my lap is the best place to be right now, which is cute. Maybe I can get some purring on. Hold on. I don't know if that picked up on the microphone, but if it did, it would be cute as hell. Um, but yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, if you have any thoughts, uh, feel free to contact me uh, on either Instagram, where I am swampcleric96, uh, or on TikTok, where I am the white trash historian. Um, I haven't quite decided what I'm going to do for next week yet. Um, hopefully, I'm in a better place mentally this week, and I can do some real good research on something monster related because monsters are fun um if not maybe i'll you know just come back and tell you a bunch of stories again if people like that um if you don't like that please for the love of god let me know so that i don't keep doing these for you because i'll put in the work if you guys want something different but i don't know sometimes it's nice to just sit here with a cat and tell some stories about pirates all right uh have a good week everybody else um, I was going to say see you next Tuesday, but I live in America and people are not a huge fan of the word cunt. So I probably will. I'll, I'll, I will talk to you next time. Bye.